Bible prophecy is often misunderstood and misapplied, which leaves many people confused or fearful. But when the Bible is studied in its proper context, prophecy becomes clear and understandable. There is no one we can trust more than Jesus, and His words will speak specifically to us as we study them in their simplicity. Welcome to Jesus on Prophecy. Tonight is Jesus on Revelation's rapture. And so we're going to be talking about what is the rapture. Many people have ideas about the rapture, about the secret rapture. Um, they have uh, movies that were made about it, left behind, these sort of things that, that are very prominent. Um, and so we want to see uh, and kind of sort out what is fact and fiction tonight. And so before we do that, let's ask the Holy Spirit to guide our time together. Let's have a word of prayer and ask for His presence to teach us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here for another night of Jesus on Prophecy. Lord, we thank you that uh, your word is the foundation, a sure foundation that we can stand upon in which we could put our trust in entirely. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll please guide us tonight. We ask that the word of God will bring things to light and it'll be clear as we go into this topic tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Space exploration has always been on the imagination throughout mankind's history. We see humans have always looked up into the night sky and dreamed about space travel. But as fascinated as a man is to explore the furthest reaches of space, there's a limit to how far we can go, which really isn't very far. We see that past our nearest neighbor, the moon, a quarter million miles away, past the sun, which is 93 million miles from the earth, we see that though we'd like to travel and explore further in our solar system, there's a limit to how far we can reach. We cannot reach past the planets like Mercury, Jupiter, and Saturn. However, we have been successful in sending out unmanned Voyager spacecrafts that which explore all the giant planets in the outer reaches of our solar system. Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, and 48 of their moons, they have been photographed. And they photographed massive volcanoes blowing up on one of Jupiter's moons and took amazing pictures of Saturn's rings. These spacecrafts also pass beyond all planets in our solar system, traveling at 38,000 miles per hour, sending information back to Earth for more than 30 years. But it's impossible for any person to go on such a long voyage. But someday, we will be able to go further than any other spacecraft has ever gone before. Someday, we will be able to travel past the stars. Someday, we will go higher and still higher past the nebula and up through the open space in Orion. And we see that our commander, Jesus, is coming to get us home. He's coming to take us on the most fascinating space journey imaginable. And we see that, that before that can take place, the second coming of Christ will accomplish what no scientist has yet dreamed possible. 
Our Lord will deliver us from the clutches of sin and death when He comes and take us on that exciting space journey. And so God's end-time plan is revealed in His Word. And so as we have been meeting every night, we know that we go by the following model. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it disagrees with the Bible, it's not for me. I think that's a good model to live by. What do you say? And that's what we base our confidence on in Scripture itself. If it's in the Bible, we believe it. The mountain peak of Bible prophecy, especially in the book of Revelation, it all climaxes at the final event, which is the second coming of Jesus. And we see that the central theme of Revelation is Jesus. It's not the dragon. It's not the seven-headed beast. The great prophecies of the book of Revelation do not focus on the beast, but on Jesus Christ. And these prophecies describe the return of our Lord and the climax of history. And so, let's take a look at our first question for tonight. And I notice that tonight we kind of have the table numbers kind of scrambled today, but that's, that's good. That keeps me on my toes. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to take a look at our first question tonight, and we're going to try to get all our answers from the Bible as we do every night. So we're going to ask each person at a table to be ready to read a verse when your table's turn comes first. Uh, comes next, I should say. Okay, and we're going to take a look at this question here. How does prophecy describe the return of our Lord and the climax of Earth's history? And we're going to go to page 1184, which is Revelation 14, 14. Okay, so the very end of the book of the... The uh, Bible, the, books, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 14, 14, page 1184. And I believe that table one today is going to be that table right there. And so uh, the rest of us can follow along and see what the answer is to this question. How does prophecy describe the return of our Lord and the climax of earth's history? Revelation 14, 14. Okay, thank you very much. So the book of Revelation depicts what event that's taking place at the climax of Earth's history? The coming of Christ, that's right. Christ's second coming, the return of Christ. This is the event that we are all looking forward to. All creation is waiting with anticipation, with expectation for the coming of Christ. Because when He comes, everything as, we, as life as we know it on this planet is going to be done and over with. And we can look forward to a new life ahead. When the book of Revelation pictures the coming of Christ, it pictures Him coming with a crown on His head. In other words, He is coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. And notice that in this picture that we just read in Revelation 14, 14, the Bible does not picture Jesus coming silently or secretly. We see that He came silently once as a baby born in Bethlehem in a manger and very few people knew He was coming. 
But when the Bible describes him coming in the book of Revelation, the picture is not the same. He comes with a crown of gold on his head. He comes with a sharp sickle in his hand to reap the harvest of the earth. And the Bible always pictures Christ coming in power and glory. And when you, when you look at the book of Revelation, it always pictures him coming in majesty. And we look at Revelation 19.11, it says... Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Why does the Bible picture Jesus coming on a white horse? What does that symbol represent? When he comes galloping on a white horse... That white horse is a symbol of purity and victory and triumph. And when Jesus comes with a golden crown upon his head, riding a white horse, he is pictured as a victorious general. He is pictured as, a coming, as coming to defeat all the forces of evil. The book of Revelation is very, very plain. Jesus returns victoriously, triumphantly, and gloriously. And when we look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it tells us that the kingdoms of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign, how long? Forever and ever. So when Jesus comes, the great controversy will end. Sin and sinners will be no more. Jesus' coming is not some mysterious event. He comes to reign over the entire universe. He comes to be worshipped and praised by the redeemed forever and ever. And question number two says, How will Jesus come back the second time? The Bible gives us answers in the Word. And the Bible is very plain. Jesus describes one of the deceptions before His return in this way. We go to Luke chapter 17, verse 23, page 1014. 1014, Luke 7, 23. And we're going to have the next table read. I think table 3 is the next one available. No? Okay, table 5. <laughs> okay, table 3 deferred. So we're going to go to table 5. Okay? Uh, page 10, 14, Luke 17, 23. How will Jesus come back the second time? Luke 17, 23 has the answer. Can we have someone from table number 5 read that for us, please? Okay, so this is talking about a deception that's going to take place where people will presume that they have seen Jesus appearing on earth, and they say, look, there he is. And what does Jesus warn? He says, do not go after them or follow them. In other words, if anybody says that Jesus comes secretly to a select few, or that he's appearing somewhere, someplace, anywhere on earth, we can know that these claims are false. Take a look at Matthew 24, verse 26, when they say, if they say to you, look, he is in a desert, do not go out. The Bible says that Satan will masquerade as Christ, working mighty miracles. But look, someone says to you, Jesus is in Cairo. Go there. 
or he is, be, he is a being of dazzling brightness, go there. And we see that the Bible clearly tells us that whether he's in Tokyo, whether he's in New York, whether he's in a convention center in, in Las Vegas, it says, do not go, right? Some will say, here he is, there he is. Do not go running off after them because we see that the Bible, Jesus himself says that that is a deception. It's a false Christ that we must be aware of. And so we see that how will Christ come? He's not going to appear on this earth or somewhere on this earth. But we see in Luke chapter 17, verse 24, For as a lightning that flashes out of one part of under heaven shines to another part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in His day. So Christ will not suddenly appear on a talk show in New York or as a miracle worker on the streets of Paris. He won't walk down some major street in this world. He won't hold up his hand saying, I am the Messiah. His coming is like lightning that flashes and lights up the whole sky. In other words, everyone will know when Jesus comes, not just a select few. So Christ, He is coming down from above. He's not going to be rising up from below. Christ's coming is with glory. But someone may ask tonight, but is this really necessary for us to understand this? If I just love Jesus, isn't that enough? Well, friends, we see that Satan attempts to deceive people and many are deceived. He is a great deceiver. And he counterfeits the truth to lead millions astray. But Jesus clearly reveals his plan. Let me share with you some very clear facts about the second coming of Jesus tonight. And we're going to see how Jesus himself will appear, how he will come the second time. So first of all, I would like to submit to you, number one, Jesus' coming will be a literal event. What kind of event? Literal event. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 1 verse 11 to prove this point. Table number 6, if you could look this up and read it for us, and the rest of us look it up as well. But table number 6 will have the honor of reading this for us. Page 1051, Acts 1 verse 11. This verse and many other verses like this tell us that Jesus' coming will be a literal event. Acts chapter 1 verse 11, page 1051. And if we could have someone at table number 6 read that for us, please. Page 1051, Acts 1, 11. Okay. Okay. Do we have someone from table number 6? Don't be shy. Acts 1.11. Okay, so uh, Josephine, can you read that for us, please? Acts Okay, so this is talking about the account where Jesus does what? He's ascending to heaven, right? And as Jesus ascends to heaven, who's speaking here in this text? 
The angels. There's two angels among the disciples. They're in white apparel. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who you saw go up into heaven will come in the same manner. So what are they saying? That in the same manner that Jesus ascended to heaven, His physical body went up into heaven in the same way He's going to come back physically, literally, in the same manner. So Jesus, we see that the power of gravity cannot hold Jesus. (laughs) He defies the power of gravity. He ascends higher and higher and still higher. And the disciples gaze at Jesus in wonder. And the Bible tells us that the same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in, in so like manner. And we see that a real Christ ascended and a real Christ will descend. This Jesus who healed the sick. This Jesus who fed the 5,000. This Jesus who raised the dead. This Jesus that ascended, He will also return. And so we see very clearly that Jesus' return will be a literal event. And the next point that I'd like to submit to you as well is that Christ's coming will be a visible event. What kind of event? Visible. So the Bible says that Jesus' coming will be a visible event. His ascension was visible. When He descends, it too will be visible. And the book of Revelation tells us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why will they mourn? When it says that the Son of Man appears in heaven. It says as you go further on, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So in other words, how many people will see Jesus when He comes? It says all the nations will see Jesus coming. They will all see Him. And that's, that's pretty much a global event. It will be a global thing that the world will notice when Jesus comes. And let's take a look at Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 7. We're on table number 7. Oh, that's appropriate. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. And table 7 is going to read that for us. Page 1174. Page 1174, Revelation 1, verse 7. And if we could have a volunteer read that for us, please. Amen. Thank you for reading that, David. How many people will see Jesus when He comes? According to this text. Every eye will see Jesus come, right? So is Jesus coming secretly to a chosen few? No. What does the Bible say? It says, Behold, He's coming in clouds, and every eye will see Him. This is anything but secret, right? We see that Jesus' coming is a literal event. Jesus' coming is a visible event. Right? But furthermore, I'd like to submit the third point. Jesus' coming is also going to be an audible event. What kind of event? Audible. So we see in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. Let's check this out. Table number 8, if someone can read 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, page 1137. Page 1137 is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. And let's see what this verse tells us about Jesus' coming being an audible event. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, page 1137. All right, so we see very clearly what 
do we see in this text that shows us that His coming is going to be an audible event? The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet of God. So if you thought a voice was loud enough, if you, play, if you hear a trumpet, a trumpet's louder, right? So definitely this is going to be an ear-deafening sound that the whole world is going to hear when Jesus comes, right? And it is so loud that what occurs? It says that the trumpet and the voice of God is so loud, the voice of the archangel, that what happens? It says that the dead in Christ will rise first, right? So this, vo- this sound is so loud that it'll pierce the graves of those who are in their graves and it'll resurrect them, right? And so His coming is audible. Every ear will hear it. And so we see that many of us can look forward to this with anticipation. Perhaps there are some of you who have lost a loved one by death or a little baby that you have laid in a grave, a son or daughter who has been hit by a car and killed. The grave is marked by God. And the Bible says that the Lord Himself shall descend with a shout, and that shout will pierce the tomb of every believer. And it will be heard by all. It will not go undetected or unnoticed because it says with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the trumpet of victory, the trumpet of triumph, the trumpet of conquest over death, we see that the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's good news. One day Jesus will say, John, come forth. Mary, come forth. Chad, come forth. Doreen, come forth into a new resurrected body and that loved one will come out of the tomb and be caught up in glory and immortality to meet Christ in the air. And the Bible says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So who are we going to meet with whom? It says, Then we which were alive and remain shall be caught up with them. Those people who are resurrected, right, will be caught up in the air. And then those who are, if we happen to be alive when Jesus comes, which I hope that is the case, we witness this, we too will be caught up in the air with them. Isn't that wonderful? And so we're going to see that that's what the Bible says. And it says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Notice the intimacy of these words. Notice that these words are saturated with love. Does Jesus come to live upon the earth at this time? No. We, we don't meet Him on earth. Where do we meet Him? In the air. His coming will be an air appearing. He's going to be up in the air. We are going to be caught up to Him when He appears in His second coming to meet Him in the air. And so we see that Christ's coming is a literal event. It's an audible event. And we see very clearly the, third, the next thing is that Christ's coming will be a glorious event. What kind of event? Glorious event. And we see that in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. If we could have table number 9. Read that next one. Is that table number 9? Okay. Page 1023. Page 1023, Luke 24, 27. Christ's coming will be a glorious event. So let's take a look at how the Bible uh, reveals this to us. Okay, if someone can read that. Luke 24, 27, page 1023. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
Okay. Uh, I think that was a wrong text. I'm sorry. <laughs> And, well, thank you. That's a wrong text as well. <laughs> okay, Luke 24, 27. Uh, I'll just read it. It says, For as a lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So we see that God will perform a dazzling light show in the sky. He's, he's going to stream down from the sky with 10,000 times 10,000 angels, and only Christ is a life giver. Only Christ can resurrect the dead. Amen? Oh, really? Okay, so that was the right text that you read. It was a wrong uh, thing. See, this is how you check me. <laughs> Very good. I was testing you guys. You guys passed. <laughs> Very good. Okay. So, uh, but uh, if someone can find a reference for this text, uh, that'd be great. Um, if you, 21, 27. Thank you. So there's a typo there. So very good. You guys are good Bible students. See, I, I trained you well. <laughs> Matthew 24, 27. All right. Okay, so we got it squared away. Matthew 24, 27. Very good. Thank you. So we see that the real Christ is coming in the sky. We see that the real Christ is coming to resurrect the dead. We see that the real Christ will catch us up into the sky to travel with Him past the moon, past the stars, and to the very throne room of the universe. And there we will always be with the Lord. Can you imagine that? That's going to be so awesome. I just can't wait for that to happen. Uh, and we see the next thing that we know about Christ's second coming is that Christ's coming will be a climactic event. What kind of event? Climactic. So we see that Jesus comes literally. He comes visibly. He comes audibly. He comes gloriously. And also He will be coming climactically. The coming of Christ is a decisive event in all of human history. And let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 53. This is what our hope rests upon. This is what we want to see realized in this verse. Page 1110. Page 1110, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. This talks about how Christ's coming will be a climactic event. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 53. And we are on table number 10. If you could have someone read that for us, please. Page 1110, for those who are still looking. Alright, so this actual event that takes place when Jesus comes is that we are going to be clothed with what? Our corruption will be clothed with incorruption. Our mortality will be clothed with immortality. Right? And this is going to take place in an instantaneous moment when Jesus comes. Right? So we see, can you imagine when Jesus comes through that sky and 
We see that the earth is illuminated with the glory of God. We see that the ground rumbles, the buildings shake, the lightning flashes, the thunders crashes, and 10,000 times 10,000 angels speed with haste to the graves as righteous believers come forth. And we see as believers, we are looking up. Christ is coming. And this is the most magnificent event in the heavens. And instantly our mortal bodies, which are subject to disease and death, receive immortality. And what a day that when Christ comes, that will be. Instantly we will be transformed. Instantly we are changed. And new life pulsates through our bodies. We radiate with health and joy and gladness and happiness. As Christ descends in glory, we sing of His praises as our bodies are changed from corruptible to incorruptible. And friends, you don't have to worry about wrinkles. <laughs> you don't have to worry about arthritis. You don't have to worry about back pains. Because at that moment, we're going to have a new body that is free from all those things. And that's something that we can look forward to. Amen? And so question number three. How can I know that I will be ready when Jesus comes. How can I know when Jesus is going to come and be ready for that? We see that, we, we, we know that there's going to be that scene where, where loved ones will be embracing as they are reunited, where death has separated them. We see that the dead will be resurrected. We will see our brother or our sister, our son or our daughter, our husband or our wife come out of the tomb with new, glorious, immortal bodies. And angels will present them to us again. And we will embrace with tears flowing down our cheeks, families being reunited as we ascend together. And we see in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9, and table number 11, if you could read that for us, page 677, this is what God's redeemed will say when this moment is finally realized in Isaiah 25, 9, page 677. And table number 11, if you could have someone read that for us, please. Isaiah 25, verse 9. What will the redeemed say when Jesus appears and their hope is realized? Wow. So the, the redeemed were all along waiting faithfully waiting for Jesus' return. Right? They say, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him. And He will save us. We have waited for Him. We have not accepted the false Christs. We have not accepted the counterfeit Messiah who pretended He was Christ. This is our Jesus who comes. And we see that this is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. And friends... There's no better time for us to be ready than now, at this present time. Because we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, a lot of people say, you know, I want to accept Jesus, but I want to forego that for a little bit. I want to put that aside for now. I'm going to put it on hold and I'll come back to it later. But my friends, that is the most dangerous thing that you could ever do because we do not know what tomorrow holds. We do not know how our life is on the brink and so fragile that something can happen to us overnight. A freak accident can take place. The devil wants to take us out before we can make this decision. 
And so, friends, we need to make that decision now, in the present time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Do not forego that decision to a later time, because that's what the devil likes. The devil wants you to say that his favorite words is, maybe later. That's his favorite words. Because if you can say maybe later enough times, it becomes easier for you to do that again and again until finally it's too late. Our eternal destiny is being settled by the choices we make today. And friends, I believe that we are on the knife edge of eternity. We are living in the last days just before Jesus comes. And I believe that Jesus is soon is going to come and stream through the corridor of that sky. And when He comes... That's it. And I pray that all of us will have made that decision and that all of us can say, as we see Jesus there up in the cloud, saying, this is our God. We have waited for Him and He will save us. Amen? Amen. And question number four, what happens when Jesus comes? What events transpire when Jesus comes? And we're going to go through this quickly. Uh, we see that the Bible tells us that there will be first seismic upheavals. There will be su- stupendous uh, upheavals where mountains and islands will be moved out of their place and a great earthquake will shake this planet. The Bible tells us it's an earthquake that has never be- before been on this earth's history. So you can imagine the, the, how that earthquake is on the Richter scale. <laughs> Off the charts. Right? It also tells us that the righteous dead will be raised in 1 Thessalonians. We looked at that, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. It says that the dead shall rise first. All who sleep in their graves shall hear Christ's trumpet-like voice and rise up to eternal life. We see that the next, that the righteous living will all be changed in an instant, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, where they'll be clothed with immortality. And we see that immortality will be bestowed only on the righteous and the faithful. We see that the wicked living in the meantime when Jesus comes will be destroyed by the brightness of His coming. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, it tells us that. And also in Revelation chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, it says that the wicked, when they see Jesus, they cannot bear to see His face and they cry out to the rocks and the mountains to fall on them because they know that this is their day of reckoning that they have now have to face. And so we see when Jesus comes, there will be no second chance. There will be no second opportunity. Unlike the Left Behind series and the Secret Rapture series, they're saying that there is a second chance. If you miss the first bus, there will be a second bus coming after the seven years of tribulation. But friends, there's nowhere like that in the Bible. In the Bible, that does not talk about a seven-year tribulation in the end times. The Bible does not talk about a secret rapture. The Bible does not talk about a second bus that will come if you just hang in for that seven years of tribulation. Then the second bus will come and then you can get picked up for that second, second uh, bus. There is no second chance. And so when Jesus comes, the w- living wicked are all destroyed. There is only one coming and that's it. And we've got to be ready for that coming. And the righteous will welcome Christ. The Bible says when Christ comes, we are caught up to meet Him in the air. And number seven, the righteous go to heaven. Now some people may say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Brian. Didn't you miss that text in the Bible that says that He is coming as a thief? Aren't there two comings of Christ? And one when He comes as a thief and one when He comes in His glory? Well, let's take a look at question number five. What about the secret rapture? 
Okay, let's take a look at what the Bible says. Is a secret rapture found in the Bible? And we go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, page 961. Matthew 24, verse 36. You guys know what a secret rapture is? I just want to give you... just want to make sure. Okay, secret rapture is when they believe that a few people will be taken up secretly, right? And then the rest are left behind. And they wonder, oh no, what happens to my loved one? They're gone. And did you know that um, airlines, uh, they actually... This is an interesting fact. Airlines, they actually have... uh, two co-pilots. Did you know that? They have one who is a Christian and one who is non-Christian. <laughs> Seriously, I'm serious. Because they say that in case of a secret rapture, <laughs> they need someone to land the plane, right? So, so if, if they're both Christian, be, there's the possibility that they both will be raptured up and the plane will crash. So they say, we need to at least have someone that is not Christian that mans the plane, so it'll guide the plane safely to landing. That's what they believe for insurance purposes. Right? But uh, it's, it's, just, it's just amazing if they uh, study the Bible, uh, they could get a clear understanding of this. So that's what we're going to do. Matthew 24, 36. Let's take a look here. Page 961. Um, and we're on table number 12, right? Table number 12. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 36, page 961. Can someone read that for us, please? Okay, so does anyone know when Jesus' coming will be? This text is very clear, right? Nobody knows, right? There's been a lot of people that have made presumptions of when Jesus would come, right? Um, Not too long ago, uh, the people, I don't know if you heard about the craze about the Mayan calendar. Do you remember that? They said 2012 is when the end of the world is going to come. And here we are in 2019. (laughs) The the end of the world did not come as people predicted. But we see that um, nobody knows. Only the Father knows. And so we shouldn't, and when somebody actually makes a prediction that the end of the world is going to happen on such and such date, that's a red flag that you shouldn't listen to what they're saying. Amen? Because nobody knows the day or the hour, right? It's very clear. But let's get back, back to the point about the thief in the night. Uh, Jesus is coming as a thief. We go to Matthew chapter 24, same chapter, but we go to ju- uh, jump to verse 43, right? It says here, uh, can we have someone read this for us? Where, are we, did we go through, one time through? I think we did. So back to table number one, Matthew 24, 43, page 961. And let's take a look at what it says here. Matthew 24. So, this is talking about Jesus' coming, described as a thief, right? And is this text speaking about the manner of his coming or the timing of his coming? Well, we see that this passage is talking about the timing of his coming, not the manner of Christ's coming. Because when the Bible talks about a thief, it's talking about the time that he comes, not the manner in which he comes. And, and that's plain, because now we see that a thief... A thief well, let's just pause right here. Let's just be silly for a moment. Would a thief ever tell you, hey, by the way, I'm going to come to your house tomorrow night, 
So, uh, just so you know. Will a thief say that? <laughs> right? He will come when we least expect it, right? He'll come at a time that we are not expecting him. And so, and, and how do we know this? Because we just looked at the text in the Bible where it says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 that how many eyes will see him? It says every eye will see him. So it's not talking about Jesus coming secretly. It's talking about Jesus coming as the timing will be unexpected. We, we will not know when he'll come. No man knows the day or the hour when Jesus will come. And that is, that is what it's referring to. His coming is not talking about, his, thief as, his coming as a thief does not mean uh, the manner of which he comes, but the timing. Okay, And we see that there's only two classes when He comes. There are those who are saved and those who are unsaved. The redeemed and the lost. There's no second chance when Jesus comes. And we see that when Jesus comes as a thief, the world will not expect it. That's what that text means. It means that they will not expect His coming. And when He comes, it will be quickly, unexpectedly. Then every eye will see Him. The Bible doesn't teach that he comes secret, secretly as a thief at all. Um, and actually, if you, act, if you look at the verse in, I think it's 2 Peter, where it talks about how Jesus will come as a thief, I think that's another text that talks about it. But it actually tells us that he'll come as a thief, but it says that the earth will melt with fervent heat and the elements will all melt there, thereof when he comes. So if his coming is secret, don't you think that people notice that the elements are melting with fervent heat around them? I think they would, right? And so very clearly we see that it's talking about the timing of his coming, not the manner. His timing will be unexpected, right? And Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, it says, Therefore you also be ready. That's the emphasis. Be ready, because we don't know when he's going to come. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Oh, here's a text. Okay, praise the Lord. It's here. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. This is, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Hold, hold on, it's a great noise. Do you think everyone's going to hear that? If it's a great noise, will everyone hear that? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Okay, so, so it's not secret, right? And it says, all the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works in it will be what? Burned up, right? So nobody's going to be uh, putting on their ear, ear AirPods and just like, you know, just living their life as pleased as things are melting around them, right? This is actually going to be taking place when Jesus comes. Everyone's going to know it, right? So we see that the second coming is a surprise to the unprepared. So what happens to them? Well, we'll go to our next question. Question number six. What about the expression of one taken and the other left? Okay, and so uh, we know this passage. This is found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 and 39. So let's turn there. Matthew chapter 24. Uh, this is page 961. Page 961, Matthew 24, 37, 37 through 39. Okay. Matthew 24, 37 through 39. And um, Patricia, are you ready to read that for us? 37 through 39. Yes. But as the days of Noah were... So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as 
in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Okay, and verse 39. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, so we just read that first part there. There's a reason for that. Look at verse 40, after what Patricia just read. It says, Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Right? So this is where people kind of think that, oh, this is the secret rapture. Someone's going to be taken up, and the other one's going to be left behind. Right? This is where the popular thought, uh, they, they base it on this verse. But um, take a look at the context. When we read the Bible, we've got to look at the context. Look at the previous text where it talks about the days of Noah. Right? As in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For in those days, in the, before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving to marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. But look at verse 39. It says, And did not know until the flood came, and did what? Took them all away. Who was taken away? What's it talking about? Who was t- taken all away? The wicked, right? The wicked and the flood. Those who did not enter into the ark, the flood took them away, right? Jesus is using that same word take as he's referring to those two people in the field. He's saying one will be taken, the other left. So who do you want to be? Do you want to be taken or you're going to be left? I want to be left <laughs> because when you're taken, you're taken for judgment, just as these people were. They, the flood took them away. And if you uh, doubt that, look at Luke chapter 17, which also says this. It's talking about as it was in the days of Lot, right? It says the same thing, a very, very similar language. It says two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. And the disciples asked Jesus... When he says that they'll be taken, right, they ask him, where, Lord? In other words, where will they be taken, right? He's asking, where will they be taken? When, when he says that one will be taken, the other left, and he, they're asking where, right? And look at what Jesus says. And he says to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So those who are taken are taken for What? judgment, right? And this is in line with the parable of the wheat and the tares uh, in Matthew 13, I believe. In Matthew 13, it talks about the wheat and the tares and you know which one was actually gathered up first? It was the tares. The tares were gathered up first and thrown into the furnace. Right? They were taken for judgment. And so when it's saying that one was taken, the other left, is simply talking about one will be taken to the one will be uh, taken to their judgment. The others that are left are those that are going to receive their eternal reward, right in heaven. And so that's what Jesus says. We say we see that as it was in the days of Noah, two classes are saved. There are two classes: one saved, one alive that is ascending to meet Christ. One is lost. One is dead, destroyed at Christ's second coming. Uh, One class is saved. And so we see that Revelation, 
is plain about this division of the world at the second coming of Christ. There's going to be a division between those who are saved and those who are lost, and that's going to be clearly determined when Jesus comes. So question number seven says, How will those who are not in a state of readiness react when Jesus comes? And we look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. And Linda, welcome. Glad you could join us today. Praise the Lord you're here. Uh, we are just taking turns reading verses from table to table, and you are on table number four. So would you mind reading Revelation 6, 15 through 17, page 1178 uh, in your table Bibles. 1178, uh, Revelation 6, 15 through 17. How will those who are not in a state of readiness react when Jesus comes? Okay, so we take a look at Revelation 6, 15 through 17. And Revelation 6, 15 through 17, page 1178. And we're going to go ahead and answer this question. How will those who are not in a state of readiness react when Jesus comes? Yes, please. Yes. Thank you for reading that. So we see that this is a tragic picture of what comes to those who are ill-prepared, those who are not ready for Jesus' return. We see that they, when He comes to save them, they react how? They run and hide themselves. Their hearts are gripped with fear. We see that they have not crowned Jesus as the King of glory in their hearts. And they don't want to crown Him as a King of glory in the universe. And so when Jesus finally appears, they are frightened. They cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. So when the Bible describes the second coming of Jesus, one of the greatest deceptions is that some will be left on earth and have a second chance during the tribulation. The devil has sold that lie to deceive people to put off their salvation. They think, I can put off my salvation, and during the tribulation, I can get serious. Ladies and gentlemen, according to the book of Revelation, and according to the teachings of Jesus, we see that there is no second opportunity. The time to get serious about your salvation is now. And we see that the decisions that we make now are for eternity. And I pray that tonight we will make a decision tonight. And we see... In summary, we've learned that Christ's coming will be a literal event. His coming will be a visible event. His coming will be audible. It will be glorious. It will be climactic and a joyous event. Amen? Amen. And we will find no greater joy than to see Jesus come take us home. And don't put that decision off to a future date. Don't delay to, to a more convenient later time. Don't miss the most joyous event of all ages. When Christ comes, it will certainly be a joyous event. It will be the happiest event in the history of all the ages. And we see in John chapter 14, verse 2, it says, I go 
to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, where I am, there you may be also. Jesus comes, bursting down the corridor of the skies, and He's coming for you. But are you ready? Because if you are not ready, you will react like those people in Revelation chapter 6 who will flee from His presence. They cannot bear to look at His face, the face that is of peace and serenity and of love. They cannot bear to see Him. They would much rather die and have the rocks crush them than see His face. What a tragedy. What a terrible way to react to the one who gave himself for all of mankind, to save all mankind, but they react that way. And so tonight, is there anything that would keep you from being ready for the coming of Christ? What would hold you back from making a decision so that you can experience that most joyous event? I want to share a story before my wife plays of two women who attended a series of meetings like this. And on one particular night, the evangelist made an appeal. The subject was on the glorious appearing of Christ and the need to be ready to meet Him. And as a speaker adjured the listeners to make their lives ready, he appealed to them to show their response by standing. And the older woman out of these two women stood on her feet. And the appeal continued. The woman who stood was a mother. And she noticed her daughter who was remaining in her seat. And she turned to her daughter and she whispered to her, Sweetheart, don't you want to stand with me in this decision? in this commitment? And the daughter responds, No, mother, not now. I'm young. I still have things to do with my life, things that I want to do before I make this commitment. But I'm glad you're doing it, mother. And the anguished heart of the mother was pained as she heard those words. The appeal came to an end. And the pastor had a prayer, and the meeting reached its conclusion. At the exit, the pastor was shaking hands and bidding the attendees good night. When the mother went through the door, she, she pled with the pastor to pray for her daughter and shared with him her sorrowful response to that appeal. And the pastor, assuring the mother of, her pra- of his prayers, he encouraged and commended her for her decision. The women made their way back to their car. And on the way home, while on the highway, a semi-trailer went out of control and it crashed into the car and fell on it. And the car was crushed and both women died. Friends, we do not know how much time we have on this old earth. 
Some of us will meet a time of departure sooner than we think. Life is unpredictable. And knowing this, how can we procrastinate on our decision? And the Lord tells us tonight, now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear my voice, harden not your hearts. Oh friends, Jesus will come. Do you want to be ready? When the end of all things comes, don't you want to find yourself safe in the arms of our Savior? Don't put off that decision. As the Spirit speaks, yield yourself to Him. Accept His invitation of salvation now. Will you lift your hand to heaven? Will you do it now? I'll have my wife play this song as we make a decision tonight. Decision that will seal our eternal destiny. There's only one thing that can satisfy anyone in this world today, and that is Jesus. We know that Jesus promises to come back very soon. He says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according to their work shall be. And friends, the greatest thing that we can ever do to receive that reward that He has awaiting for us 
is to make a decision now. To make a decision that you say, Lord, I want you in my life. I want to give my life completely over to you so that when you come, I can be saying, this is my God and I have waited for Him. And He has finally come to save me. But friends, we don't have to wait for that moment for Jesus to save us. He could save us now. He could save us now from our sinful heart. He could save us now from our evil temper, from our pride, from our gossip, from the things that separate us from Him. These things, we must give them over to Jesus. And He will make a new thing out of us. Would you like to say tonight, Lord Jesus, save me. I believe you're coming in the clouds tonight. And I want to be ready. Would you make that decision tonight? Would you make that decision that will seal your destiny forever? When you say, Jesus, I want to be ready. When you come, if that's your decision tonight, like those two women who has given that appeal, I want you to rise on your feet today and say, Lord, I want to be ready. Take all of me. If that's your decision, would you stand tonight? Now is the acceptable time to make a decision. And if you made that decision, praise the Lord. But we need to make that decision every day. Amen? And praise the Lord that He loves us so much and He never gives up on us. He never gives up on you. He will do everything He can to woo you to Himself so that your soul will be secure in His hands. And friends, I want to thank you for coming tonight and making this decision. I think all of heaven is rejoicing tonight. And we want to seal this decision with prayer. So let's pray as we close. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you We thank you that you have not given up on us. Your promise still rings true today. As good as gold. You promise that you'll come and take us to be with you. But Lord, there are many people who have not accepted that. Or many people looking to the tinsel and the glitter of this world rather than make that decision that is above all decisions. A decision to be ready in our hearts for your soon return. Lord, we pray that you'll please be with us tonight. Come into our hearts tonight and may our hearts always be in tune heavenward to anticipate your soon return. We know that we are looking for a better world to come. Not in this life. Nothing in this life can do it for us. Only you can satisfy the soul.
And Lord, we're standing here acknowledging that and claiming your promise that you will take us home with you. And so, Lord, send your Spirit, send your grace, enable us to be faithful till you come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.